You're listening to audio from Plank Grove Harvest Church located in Crossville, Tennessee. If you'd like more information about our church and its various ministries, please visit our website at www.plankgroveharvest.org. I wanted to, um, you know, we got Thanksgiving coming up this weekend, and I was telling them this morning, it's my, probably my favorite holiday. It always was a good holiday. We didn't have big Christmases when I was a kid. I think I've told you before, one of my dad's, dad always got us these presents that were like for Christmas that were utilitarian. One time he got me a, a hatchet and I was all excited to have it. And he's like, well, that's so you can clean out this giant, ro-. we had in Texas, we had these rose bushes that like that wild rose we have here, they literally would fill the volume of this church um, if they were just left unchecked and only longhorn cattle would eat them. I mean, they were brutal. He's like, well, we got this big stuff before weed eaters. Um, we got this whole ditch in front of our house. I'm giving you this axe so you can go out there and clean the, the ditch out with that. I'm like, thanks. Merry Christmas. <laughs> you know. But Thanksgiving was different. There was no pressure to get the right gift or to get the lame old present, you know. Um, it was just the, the time of family together in general. We went and spent that with the grandparents and up in, the, in Colorado, which was in, in somewhat eastern Colorado. And then we would go into Kansas and hunt pheasants every year about that time and and our whole family would ride, uh, Grandma and Grandpa had a 72 Buick LeSabre. It was the sled of all sleds. That thing climbed a tree. One-wheel drive, Grandma, Grandpa, me, Mom, Dad, and my sister. So six people in this thing. And we'd hunt out of this car for like four days in western Kansas, driving the road, snow, dark at night, didn't matter, and uh, kill the wily pheasant, load them in the trunk, and clean them in the motel rooms at night. And and. You know, it was it was good days. I mean, we didn't realize, you know, eat out of a cooler. There was no gas stations weren't like they are now where you could go buy. It's just, it was a completely different time, but it was a good time with family, and we enjoyed each other like that and got good memories in that. And uh, by the way, we didn't have good cold weather gear back there either. And uh, so you had to put the two pairs of socks with the, with the uh, um, bread, the bread bag over your sock to keep your socks from getting wet because the shoes weren't waterproof. Well, we were tough, man. But I do like Thanksgiving. I tell you all that to tell you. Psalm 103 was the psalm we read this morning in the back. And I pray that this Thanksgiving you consider reading that with your family. And it begins about blessing the Lord and thanking him. uh, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forgetting all, all his benefits. And the very first benefit it talks about, who forgives all our iniquities. Without the forgiveness of sin, Without the, the hope of the gospel, we, we ain't got a chance. And I was thinking about, as you know, we're going to meet with, with families. Some of our family is unsaved. Very few. But uh, some of the family that will be coming on Thanksgiving be unsaved. And just reminding your family of the benefits of Christ and what he's done for us. And the first and greatest is that he forgave us from all of our iniquities. And the next, if you go on down and read it, you'll see that he doesn't hold our iniquities against us. And uh, we, he doesn't discipline us in the way we should be disciplined for our fallenness. And I really like that psalm. And I do have some notes on that. If you want that, you can, uh, you can look through those. And, and maybe it help you kind of discuss that with family over Thanksgiving. You can remember the goodness of God as he's cared for you in the last year. It even talks about his goodness of provision of food for us. Primarily this morning, we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians, which ends 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. The will of God in Christ Jesus for you is to rejoice in everything. I'm uh, sorry, rejoice always, praying without ceasing, and in everything, giving thanks. So this chapter or this book of First Thessalonians just reminded me again, like what we were saying last week, that the Bible, particularly the New Testament, is this action 
uh, well, they call it, you go to work and they get, well, you go to a job and they give you an uh, employee's handbook. It's the employee's handbook for the believer. The New Testament is the employee's handbook. How to act in a world that hates God and hates you. This is how you, this is how you do it. This is the hand, the, gives you all the stuff about the hand-to-hand combat and the words you're supposed to say and the things you're supposed to do and how you're supposed to live. And it gives it all, it all lays it out very simply for us so that we can be developed in that. And so I was thinking about this week as we're, you know, maybe you're still frustrated about the elections or you're frustrated about how your football team did or whatever you're frustrated about, your wife or your kids or whatever thing is eating you right now. And I'm praying that you can set those things aside and let this week be a week of rejoicing always, praying without ceasing, and in everything giving thanks, um, for this is the will of God. I don't want you to forget about those other things. I just want you to set them aside for a moment. It's important that we vote. It's important that we follow up with our sinners. All that stuff's important. But it's not as important as this. The hearing from God through his word, the preaching of the word, the singing praises to him through song, um, the coming together in fellowship with one another, the praying for the mission, all these things, these people of these other nations and thinking about our missionaries that are out there um, doing the same thing this morning we are, except they don't have uh, heat and they don't have air conditioning. Um, but they're doing it anyway. So maybe we can think about that. But So 1 Thessalonians 5, it has the works in it. And we're going to read it. But I've noticed something about uh, 1 Thessalonians 5. It comes right after 1 Thessalonians 4. I don't know if you caught that. But there's, uh, there's a lot of good stuff in 4. And I hate to go to 5 without touching on 4 because 4 helps develop us and gives us a peace that we need, especially in this day. Because um, in the four we see christ return and his reign forever and ever and us being with him and what happens to us after death and in five is like well since we're not there yet but we're here now what do we do now so let's let's look at four and we'll read through four just touch on a couple things and then we'll we'll dig into five. First thessalonians four um are we ready anybody there okay Everybody's, you want me to turn the heat down or up? You guys are all falling asleep. We hadn't even started. All right. Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanliness, but to holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has also given us the Holy Spirit. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed, you do so towards all the brethren who are in Macedonia. That we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more, abound more and more, verse 1, increase more and more, um, that you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that you may walk properly towards those who are outside and that you may lack nothing. I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. 
For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet with them in the air, in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. So if I could just give you the highlights of chapter 4, I would start with this very first line where it says, we urge and exhort you, I'm urging you and exhorting you in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you receive from us, how you ought to walk and to please God. Every day, you should abound more and more. I heard this good little, this good little uh, uh, quote this morning, and uh, this guy was talking about getting the, getting the kids. I just remember the days when they were, I remember those days, Whitney. You don't think I do, but I do. The wrestling match and getting clothes on the kids. And if you remember how hard it is to put a sock on a pre-two-year-old's foot, I don't even think there's bones in their foot. It's like a pile of mush. And you go to put a sock on and the thing curls up, and you can't get the toes to, like, straighten out where you can get the sock. And then that leads to hand-to-hand combat with the kid, and then there's a diaper needs changing and then all the jazz. And you get them in the car, and you got to duke it out with the sp- uh, spouse, with the other kids, all the way to church. And it's just a, it's a pain. It's a, it's a war. And you got to get to church. And you got to act like everything's cool once you come in the door, like we just had the best morning ever, right? And you got to put on a good show for all the people here. And then on the way home, you, you feel better. But, but every week, um, what I want you to, to know, Smith family, other families with small kids, is that every week that you go through the battle to get to the fellowship, and some of you adults go through the same thing. I'm tired. It's cold outside. It's raining outside. Oh, uh, Roland Smith's. For every drop of rain that falls, a Baptist stalls. It, it just, we just, we don't want to get wet. We don't want to be cold. We don't want to be hot. We want to wear nice clothes, but we didn't get the shirt ironed that we were supposed to. We got to wear the clothes that weren't the clothes we wanted, whatever. Whatever the thing is that hinders us and, and conflicts with us and keeps us from coming to the battle. And what we got to do is week after week, he said, coming to worship the Lord is like pouring concrete. You're pouring a concrete slab that you're going to be building on all week. That's the foundation. And then when you go out Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and so on, you build the house that week, and the next week you do the same thing again, and it's a pattern of resting in the gospel and then working. Every week there's a new form that needs to be filled. If you ever have, I know, we got some concrete people in here, but you build the form, that's a pain. You dig the dirt out, you build the form, you got to get it level. You got to get it square halfway. You got to put the plumb and whatever in there. You got to pour the, then you get the con, you fill it with gravel, pack it down, you put the concrete on it. It's a big lumpy mess and it goes really fast depending on the temperature and you got to rake it out. Then you got to smooth it out. Then you got to fix all the stuff that you goofed because you ordered too much or ordered too little and you got to rake that out and deal with that and you got to finish it and you got to remember that you forgot to put this one drain in and you're going to get a little saw that back out to make that right, you know. And then all week you got to build. But it's got to be right because you're going to build further on it. That battle, that weekly battle of getting the family to church is one that's worth the fight. Because the foundation that you're building with your kids is eternal. And I was talking to the Miller family this morning about their girls. And it was, I was excited. I really was to hear of Abby. She's going to, a, she's going to another church with her, with her boyfriend. And uh, maybe more conservative than here, if that's possible. Um, they use the stainless steel sword week after week, the King James, King is Jameis. Um, 
and then she's in a Bible study outside of that with some other girls. I mean, it caught. The foundation caught, and she's building on the foundation. Maggie's going to a church with a friend of hers. My kids are going to church. I, know, I wish my kids were going to a more conservative-viewed church, but I'm thrilled to death that week after week I can call my kids, and they'll say, yeah, I was in church this morning. I'm glad to see the, the Olsen boys, the two banditos back there in church this morning. Glad to see the, the uh, Tejas boys back there. Glad to see the strong girls. Glad to see you here with your families building the foundation. And CJ, love you, CJ. I'm not allowed to speak to CJ. Mom's very defensive, thinks I'm going to wound his spirit or something. I got your back, CJ. But you're building a foundation that's going to hang with them in the long run. And you better, because hard times are coming. Every week, you got to do that. Finally, you should abound in it. The battle, you got to know Saturday night that the battle's coming. Uh, we were going to go do a raid one time, and they tell us before we went, there was a lot of bad guys, and we're going to get all these machine guns ready, and then they're going to... But you knew what was coming. You, you had to know what the enemy's plan was. The enemy, I promise you, the enemy on Sunday morning is the rubber foot and the, and the flat tire on the car, and the, I forgot to fill the car up with gas. All those enemies, they were there the night before. You dealt with them or you didn't. But you got to know the battle's coming every Sunday. It's just how it is. And pushing through is where the victory comes. And abounding in that. When you get the victory and you made it to church and most of the kids are still alive, come them striped up because you had to work them over in the car or whatever, but you got them in there and they're still alive, right? And they heard the word and it developed them further for the next week to build and the next week to build. I, that's where it's at. I pray that you abound more and more and that you ought to walk, that you walk as you ought to walk. You know, you've heard the word. You can read the word. If not, we've got some school teachers in here. They can teach you to read the Word. Um, so you know how to walk that pleases God. And it says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. One of the greatest things that I've, I struggled with myself years ago, and I think a lot of people struggle with, as they say, I wish I understood what God's will was for me. Oh, it says right here, this is the will of God for you, your sanctification. And at the end it says, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So there you go. What's the will of God? Be sanctified. Be thankful. There's a, a thousand other things that's his will, but if you'll do those things, the will part will come into the flow of the direction that you're going. If you're struggling, like, I wish God was just, you know, I've told you before, I wish the light would come on, Dale, you're a missionary to, you know, Tongo or whatever. And then I, and then I would know, right? But all I can do is the part that I can do, and it says, this is the will of God for you. Well, then I can apply that to myself and begin right there. I can work on that will of God, which is sanctification. It says, abstain from sexual immorality, possess your own body in sanctification and honor, forget the passion thing. And it says in verse 8, it's kind of scary, um, therefore he who rejects this does not reject man, but God who has also given us his Holy Spirit. You believer who are told to be sanctified, so will of God for you be sanctified, if you reject the rule of Christ, which is be sanctified, flee sexual immorality, possess your own ves vessel, don't be passionate in lust, and so on. If you can do that, or if you can't do that, you're not rejecting man's command, you're rejecting God's command. You say, well, that ain't the word for me. I'm sorry, that's the word, that's what it says. This is the will of God for you. It's for you. So when you reject, you're not rejecting men's ideas, you're rejecting the word of God. 
And it tells us brotherly love. And in verse 11, it says, and that you also aspire to lead a quiet life. Again, this is the action, the action package for the believer. This is it. Aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that you may properly, you may walk properly towards those who are outside and that you may lack nothing. Um, the promise of, of the return of Christ that comes after that is, is great. But until he comes or until you die, this is what you do. You work like a dog. You lead a quiet life. You minister to other people. You mind your own business. In other, in other words, it's not just not being interested. I don't, I don't, not, I don't care what, what, what Jed does. What he does is different than what I It's not that. It's take care of your business first in the work that you do, in the work of your hands. Put effort in the business that you do. Whatever you put your hands to, do as unto the Lord. Whatever that is, do that first. You can love one another, but it says to work. He who does not work shall not eat. This is a command. This is a command for believers. Believers should be the hardest working, um, most developed employees, most, most bestest self-employees, business owners, whatever they are, but whatever they do should be as unto the glory of God, and they should be this example to everyone else is like, man, you can't outwork, you know, Ed Becker. You can't outwork Jed Smith. You can't outwork whoever you are, uh, Charlie Alva. You can't do it. That guy's just do the work in the ground because what he's doing is not for himself. It says unto the Lord. He's caring for his family. He's doing this thing. He's showing that there's a way to go about kingdom building, and part of it is in the physical things that we do in the day-by-day. And in that, until Christ comes, just like we talked about Arauna last week and how he was on the threshing floor and there the, there the um, angel of the Lord is standing behind him. He kind of looks over his shoulder. He keeps threshing. Then he knows of the deaths of all these people. He looks over his shoulder. He keeps threshing. He keeps doing the work until he's called to do something else. Until the Lord returns or we die, this is what we do. And in the last verse there, verse 18, therefore, comfort one another with these words. As people come to you and they complain about their work or their day or their whatever, comfort them with these words. Go back and tell them, man, I pray that your life is abounding. I pray that you're building a good foundation for your family. Uh, uh, I pray that you're growing in sanctification, that you're taking time to study the word each week and you're doing these things and you're growing spiritually. I pray that you have a good work and that you're working hard on it, and that other people compliment you in your work. When people compliment you in your work, it makes you feel good. It makes you want to work more and do better. Um, how many of our conversations that we start in a week begin with some kind of negative thing? I mean, it's a negative inflection on it where we begin with, can you believe that so-and-so did excellent? Can you believe that the, whatever, that the president did this, that the congressman did that? Can you believe that my neighbor acted like this? Can you believe that my car works like this? Whatever. And we always start off with this negative, and we never give God the glory for all the positive that happens every day. The fact that you took a breath right before you started complaining in the negative, and you were able to exhale it and, and speak words at the same time. But anyway, comfort one another. To comfort and to encourage one another is part of the, the work of the, of the believer with one another. We encourage one another. When we come together on Sunday... Sunday night, whatever day we meet together, when we see each other out on the street, we don't attack one another with negative. We exhort one another with positive. Man, the Lord's coming back. 
Man, our Congress is terrible. Yep, but the Lord's coming back. Yeah. Man, I got a cold. Well, you ain't dead. I mean, give them something positive, you know. But <laughs> there's something good. There's something good. Quit dwelling on the negative, man. And, and well, how's that song? Accentuate the positive? Don't even. You don't, you don't even know how old I am that I knew that that song existed. Chapter 5. So this is this great chapter 5. Covers the works. We'll see. Knowing that the world long ago has decided not to pursue the God who created it, but rather their own lusts, the believer is to remain vigilant in his pursuit of God. Remember, like, remember we talked about last week as being ambassadors? Here's what it looks like to be an ambassador. Here's what the, here's what the outfit looks like. We're to be on the lookout both of, for the dangers that are outside of the body, our family, our fellowship, and we're also to, to uh, look for opportunities, even though we're in, we're in a battle against a world that hates God, that hates believers, we're still looking for that person that's got the little soft spot in his heart that we can reach with the gospel and draw him into the castle. Mike, I've told you before, one of my favorite books there by John Bunyan is that um, The Battle for Man's Soul. Um, it's called Holy War, and it's, it's not near as read as, as uh, Pilgrim's Progress, but how, how the, those people, when they get hemmed up in the castle and they quit going out and trying to con, con, convict the world and quit trying to evangelize the world, the attacks on the castle become greater. And before long, they attack one another within the castle. So the believer, he's got to be, you know, he's safe in the castle in the defense at night. In the day, he's out on um, evangelism patrols. Chapter 5, verse 1. Concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. And when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in the darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. Is the word day capitalized in your Bible? Okay. So it's a, a day. It's a specific day. It has a date. It has a time. You don't even know the date yet, but it's a specific proper noun day. You're all sons of light and sons of the day. We're not of the night or nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. Let us who are of the day be sober putting on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or we sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing. And we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient to all, see that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, test all things, hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful will also do it. 
Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. I, I was obedient, Paul. I read it to all the holy brethren. I was obedient in that. It starts in, in 5. It says, concerning the times and the seasons, verse 1, and in verse 3, and when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman they could not, shall not escape. Do we have times and seasons like that? Um, it's an encouragement right here that we need to remember that we're not the first people that ever had times and seasons that we weren't that thrilled with. Um, well, at times the decisions of men of the world have effects on believers and non-believers alike. The believer has a hope that the non-believer does not possess. We have the hope that goes beyond what the world offers. It says that we're not of darkness, but we're of the light. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. Uh, you are all sons of light, verse 5, and sons of the day. We're not of the night. We're not of darkness. You've got to catch yourself. There's a, there's a thing, there's an issue with believers, not just believers. There's an issue with people in our generation that you never had to see be taught in this era necessarily. And this is called self-control, emotional self-control. How about that? And we get all tied up in how we feel. You know, I, I hear young people say this all the time. Well, what I feel is uh, like so-and-so. and, -so and Nobody has a this is the truth and this is not the truth. It's all about how you feel. Well, I can't believe they said this to me because that hurt my feelings. And, this, um, and letting this emotions run out of control with us is a major handicap to believers um, because the world hates you. Let me just tell you up front, you'll do better if you recognize the, Lord, the world hates you. Just start with that. And you don't have to worry about how you feel. I can tell you, this is how they feel. They hate you. Now, knowing that, you're not of them. You're separated from them. You're not above them, but you're separated from them. You, have, you are a person of the day and not a person of the night. And it's a positive place to be. When you have, you got to catch yourself when you start to have emotions and reactions to the things of the world that are similar to those that people take on that are of the darkness. I don't like how I feel about this thing. I don't, well, that's just too bad. That's part of existing in time. It's part of existing in a fallen world is not liking how fallen things fall. It's how it is. Emotional self-control is part of the fruit of the Spirit. It is not the fruit of the Spirit. It's a part. It's one big juicy fruit, and that's part of it. It's temperance, self-control. And what we really struggle with a lot as believers is we get tangled up, we let our emotions run wild rather than taking every thought captive. I have this emotional sense, I have this emotional deal, and I just let it run. And then I put on other people what I think they're thinking, whether they're thinking that or not. And before long, I've got myself worked up into this spiritual frenzy that I can't be talked off the cliff on, and I do crazy stuff. I lash out, yell, and carry on, and so on. But you're set apart. You're, uh, like a, you're like a specialized secret agent of God called to do a special work. Um, uh, I, I, I do like, I shouldn't, uh, I am a patriotic person, and I am, I do like the things that the Marine Corps has done in the past, the Navy SEALs, those guys, those are, those are special guys. But the guys that are, that are the very best at what they do, they have the ability to take 
how they feel and set it aside and, and do what they have to do. I don't think anybody, well, there's a few psychopaths, but in general, people don't like to take other people's lives, even these guys that have to do these things. But what they have to do is they have to take the emotional thing and set it aside so that it can do what must be done. Many believers get tangled up in the emotional thing and it keeps them from abounding more and more. It keeps them from performing as living and being alive, aspire to leave a quiet life. It, it keeps them from doing those things. We get tangled up in the peace and destruction and we, we, we look around, I'm sorry, people cry peace and safety and suddenly destruction comes upon them. We, we get tangled up in that. Why can't we have peace and safety? I want peace and safety. It ain't coming. But if I'm stable in the word of God and I know him, he knows me, then I can put aside my emotional part and I can continue on into the battle and complete the work that's set before me to do. So the things that are oppressive to us as mortal men they can oppress us maybe physically they could attack us economically they could even attack us mentally but they shouldn't have an effect on us uh, spiritually our spirit is not held by the hand of men or even the evil one if you're a believer in christ it's held by christ and it shouldn't be controlled by men we're children of the day and not of the night and it says sleeping's to be done at night Oh, uh, the old saying, nothing good happens after 9 o'clock or 10 o'clock, whatever the time is. You ought to be in the bed sleeping. You've worked so hard in the day, you don't have the energy to go out and do a bunch of tomfooleriness. Drunkenness is what happens at night. Sleep at night. Sleep at night. Don't sleep during the day. During the day is the time for work. While it's still day, if you recall, you go to Revelation, you'll see that there's a time where there's just no more light. And the men are going about gnashing their teeth. If you remember, it parallels that time way back there in Egypt when God covered the sun. And they said the darkness was so oppressive that the people were like screaming. But the Israelites could see. It's a wild deal. We think of the night as our friend, but not a lot good happens in the night. Um, let us of the day be sober. Work that's done in the light is so much better performed so much more diligently fabricated, much more uh, functional. They talk about, I've, I've read on this before, but what like the production of a factory, it's about a third to a half as much as produced, even if it's got a three-shift run, about a third or half of production is what's produced um, between midnight and 6 a.m. is produced in the eight hours during the day. The daytime work is way more effective and way more functional. It's just how it is. We don't do good. We're supposed to be sleeping at the night. So let us of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. This Christian that gets up each day, he dresses himself, you mothers, as you get your little kiddies up in the morning to prepare them for church or for school. Um, it's a great frustration to people that come to the Crossville Walmart and see the people walking around in their jammies at 11 in the morning and 3 o'clock in the afternoon. It's like, man, put some clothes on. Come on, get dressed like a person of the day. You just got out of bed and your hair's pointed sideways and <laughs> lipstick over one eye. You're like, what happened to you, man? Get dressed for the day. Be ready. Be ready for the work that's ahead. Aspire to live a quiet life. Mind your own business and work with your hands. Be ready to work. Dress each day in the breastplate of faith and love as a helmet, the hope of salvation. You got to have it on. You got to have the helmet on each day to protect your mind. It's a daily putting on. 
The Christian just wears a different set of clothes than the unbeliever. The Christian, you can agree with me in this or not, but as Christian ladies, they should be dressed differently than the way that the world's ladies dress. Even Christian men should be dressed in a different way, a cleaner way, a ready way, a ready-to-do-the-work way. says that God didn't appoint us to wrath but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us that whether we wake or sleep we should live together with him as long as we're here and until the trumpet blast we're going to work as unto the Lord and again each day we get up like Psalm 103 said we get up giving thanks for that saving from the day of wrath each day a new day to thank God for saving us from the day of wrath if nothing else, you got a headache, you got a sinus infection, missing a leg, missing an eye, whatever's wrong with you. Each day you can wake up and thank the Lord that you're not under his wrath anymore, but you're free to live as a living being. Verse 11, again it says, therefore comfort each other and edify one another just as you are also doing. Go to 1 Thessalonians 1. Paul kind of ends his, his, his letter as he begins it. 1-3 it says, um, verse 2 and 3 it says we give thanks to god always for you all he was from the south obviously uh, we give thanks to god always for y'all making mention of you in our prayers remembering without ceasing your work of faith labor of love and patience of hope in our lord jesus christ in the sight of our god and father knowing beloved brethren your election by god he's always encouraging them comforting them reminding them it's kind of like when you uh kind of brag on your kids in order to get them to do the old reverse psychology trick, you know. I know you good children are being really good. Aren't you being good? Like, yes, mother, I'm doing good. <laughs> That's what he's doing. He's telling them, man, I'm always praying for you guys, and I hear these good reports about how good you're doing, and then keep doing good. And you're like, all right, Daddy Paul, we're going to do good, you know. Now keep comforting one another. All right, Daddy Paul, we're going to keep comforting one another. That's what you need to do. Be good. Be grateful. Be thankful. Comfort one another. So I read this Zola Levitt column, and it was pointing out the, the similarities between Sukkot, which is the Feast of Tabernacles as we know it generally, also called uh, the Feast of Ingathering or Feast of Harvest, and Thanksgiving. And um, this Feast of Tabernacles for the Israelites, it starts right at the first of the year of their year, right? Right in the, like the September, October, depending on the year. But it's the, for us, we would say it's towards the fall of the year, but for them, it's the beginning of the new year. They have two new years. One is at Passover, but the, the big one is there at the Day of Atonement going into the Feast of Tabernacles. And um, it was just this remembrance of their burgeoning nationhood, spirituality, hospitality. They sleep outside in these, um, uh, well, Sukkot is the name. It's Sukkim or something like that is their little huts, right? Uh, the word just slipped my mind anyway. Anyway, they got their little hut that they make outside, and it's got like leaves and stuff on the roof, and they got some rules for that. And so each meal during that time, they go and have those meals with their family, these Thanksgiving-style meals outside in their little hut. Um, and it's, it's, it sounds very Thanksgiving-y. Well, let me, let me throw this by you a little bit. There's a lot of connections between these two that you can go and research and t see if I'm telling you the truth. But it goes back to about 1605. And around 1605 in there is when the pilgrims came to the New World, okay? In that era, 1607, I think is when they got there, or somewhere right in there, um, maybe 1620. It's somewhere right in that neck of the wood. But around 1605, let me back up, 1492, 
Columbus sailed the ocean blue. One of the reasons he sailed the ocean blue was to escape the persecution that was coming against Jews. And he saw a chance to go discover some stuff while Queen Isabel and King Ferdinand, or whatever his name was, was hammering the Jews. The Catholics were so destructive to the Jewish people that a lot of them fled Spain and they were kicked out of Spain in that year, 1492, and they went all over the place, right? And so a bunch of them ended up in Holland. All right, now the pilgrims, they have a little bit of a layover trying to escape persecution themselves. They end up in Holland. They end up with the Jews. The Jews start telling them and they are, they're reading the same book at least, until, uh, at least until Malachi. They're reading the same book the Jews are very aware of everything that goes on in the Old Testament. The, the pilgrims are very aware of the whole book. And they, they, uh, they're talking to one another, and they kind of come up with this feast, this multiple-day feast of thanksgiving to God for his provision for them. And it's really interesting to see how that works together, is that God lined up the Jews to be there before they, the pilgrims get there. They get stabilized. The pilgrims come, the Jews partially take care of them a little bit in Holland, and then the, and then the pilgrims get on the Mayflower from there and come to Americas. So there's a, a number of connections between those, a lot of references to that. But growth, both groups were obviously sojourners, and I don't know if you know this, but on the Great Steel, um, Benjamin Franklin wanted to have the Jews crossing the Jordan, and that wanted to be his emblem of America. Did you know that? So there's a lot going on with the Thanksgiving feast and Sukkot and all that. But the pilgrims knew their Bibles, and it's kind of difficult to separate tradition, myth, and the truth sometimes there related to those earliest Thanksgivings. But it was known to have lasted multiple days, many prayers offered, and times of gratefulness directed towards the giver of all good things. So Edward Winslow was among the group of pilgrims present at the first Thanksgiving. And this is how he describes the scene in 1621. Our harvest being gotten in, our governor sent four men on fowling, that means shooting birds, that so we might after a special manner rejoice together after we had gathered the fruit of our labors. They four in one day killed as much fowl as with a little help besides served the company almost a week, at which time amongst our recreations we exercised our arms and many of the Indians coming amongst us and among the rest their greatest king Massasoit with some 90 men whom for three days we entertained and feasted and they went out and killed five deer, which they brought to the plantation, bestowed on our governor, and upon the captain and others. And although it, it be not always so plentiful as it was at this time with us, yet by the goodness of God, we are so far from want that we often wish you partakers of our plenty. Wish we had more people to share the meal with. They had enough. They had a, 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 a plethora. They had an abundance that they abounded more and more. They had a ton. And they're like, it was like that one Passover where they had the Passover. Remember that in Hezekiah's day? Or no, Josiah's day, right? And they had it, and they're like, man, it's so good, we should do it again tomorrow. And they do it for like two weeks. Like, it's so good, and there's so much pumpkin pie left. Well, let's just do it again tomorrow. Let's roll. And then the next day, you talk about the turkey coma. There was people laid out everywhere. Um, a week of turkey eating. The point is, as I read this in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5, and I see all the things that I have to be thankful for that I may not always give God the glory for, but I can't help but being thankful in this. As I read this, or I read Psalm 103, or I read Matthew um, you know, 24 through 28, where I see Jesus, you know, the Last Supper, and talking about the end of days, and going to the cross, and then rising again, and I see those things, I'm like, man, 
what am I crying about? I got it made. And what it took, also in reading that Thanksgiving story, just in that, that odd thing that we don't think about, the historical thing, where God puts the Jew in the spot first, and then the Gentile comes, and he hears the word, and he steals the word from the Jews, and he's the protector of the word till today, until the Jews receive it back at whatever time they get it back. And in the Reformation that happened about in that time, and in all those guys, John Huss and, and Martin Luther and, and Calvin and all those guys that start putting together, they start really re because of the printing press. And it's all happening and getting put together so that they can have the Geneva Bible, so that they can have these other Bibles that came right before, I can't remember the one right before the Geneva Bible, but the ones that they bring with them so they can bring it to the states in a printed form that they couldn't have done before. And so that it could be taken from there. How many people here received salvation in another country? Zero. Did you? You're the only one. One. You got one in every crowd. One. One in another country received the word of God and was saved. One. So at least we told you first. Take that, Brazilian. <laughs> That's all right. The point is, is that because of this working of God, by whatever means he did, he oriented the word so that you could hear it and receive it and be saved. And for that, you should be very grateful. Let me, let me close here. It says, um, therefore, comfort one another. I had to read this part just for me and Jed. It starts at verse 11. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing. We urge you, brethren, you want to stand up here, Jed, while I read? <laughs> to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. So be nice to us. Be at peace among yourselves. And last, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And it goes on about not quenching the spirit and the, the different working of the spirit in the body, abstain from every form of evil. Verse 23, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, starting with your spirit. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. If he says he's going to do it, who will also do it? So, don't get tired, mom and dad, of bringing your kid to church. Don't get tired, husband and wife. Don't hinder one another in attending the fellowship. Don't get tired as you hear the negative things spoken about the people of God as you go outside the fellowship. Don't get tired in reading the word. And in everything, rejoice, pray, and give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Father, this morning as we pray with one another and we, we care for one another, I am grateful for these that have come. They could have been somewhere else, but they chose to be here. I pray that the word that was spoken was an encouragement to them. As we come upon Thanksgiving, Lord, I pray that we're completely thankful and grateful for every good and perfect gift which comes down from the Father of light and whom there is no shadow of turning, that you bestowed on us every good and perfect gift. If it's good, it comes from you. If it's not good, it comes from the earth or it comes from men. Lord, in in accepting that and receiving that word, 
if it's good, it comes from you. The negative things of the world through testing or trials that may have some beginning in you is largely from man. And I pray that we, that we resist the devil, that we resist those things of the earth, and that we instead cling to you, Lord, that we bless you with our lips and we bless you with our lives, Lord. I pray for these that are here as they're going to go about this week, go to different family reunions and Thanksgiving meals and so on, that they would be bold witnesses in that and tell the story of the pilgrim and how he came trusting in God for the abundance that you provided for them and that through their puritanical beliefs, Lord, that we were able to receive the gospel over the centuries. Here we are 400 years later still speaking the word of God in a once great and free country, Lord. I pray that our country repents and returns to you. Thank you, Lord, for all this time that we had together today. We give you all the glory, honor, and praise in the name of Jesus.